Good to be alive today. Amen. Purin ang Panginoon. Praise the name of the Lord. Not a little, but a lot. Hallelujah. Naligayan Pasco. Merry Christmas to everyone. It's the day after Christmas 2021 here in Los Angeles as we gather in this sanctuary today, as we stream live around the world today. And if anyone is watching this recording at a future point, I hope that something of the spirit of Christmas touches you wherever you are, whenever you are, because Christmas is worthy of being celebrated all year long because all year long Christ is alive. Hallelujah. And so... This is a season in which we rejoice. By the way, it is the Christmas season. You know, there are many things that happen fast, as Pastor Henji was saying. And in our world, it seems as though the world spins faster every day. We get ready for Christmas earlier. Well, not earlier than you're accustomed to if you're from the Philippines. We're still catching up. I guess if you're Filipino, you don't go into Costco in October and feel like, what, Christmas already? You go in and think, how did it take so long? (laughs) When I was in the Philippines uh, in, in October and I saw Christmas trees and Christmas music everywhere and that uh, the couple few years ago that we were there, I said, this country knows how to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Hallelujah. We get ready for Christmas earlier here in the States than we used to, but we get over it faster too. And that's a shame. We're so ready to move on. I don't know if you go into Walmart or Costco or whatever and you see Valentine's stuff already up. Hey, listen, I'm all about love. Love is good. But let's not forget, it's still Christmas time. Christmas tide. That's the classic liturgical phrase for it. We looked at that in a study together a few years ago. It is the Christmas season. In fact, you know the 12 days of Christmas? That begins with Christmas. So we are still in Christmas season, Christmas mode. And I want you to be too. It's a time to revel in the rejoicing and the revelation of the Lord. It's a time to enjoy family and friends. But it is also a time to get ready for what's coming next. And that includes 2022, a new year. Like Pastor Henji, I am excited about the future. Uh, Like him, and perhaps like you too, I know that there are others that have shared this. I sense in the Lord that there is something good in store for PCF in the year ahead. I really believe that. I wouldn't say that if I didn't feel that the Lord was saying that. I mean, what point would there be in me or you and us getting all jazzed about something if it's not sourced in the Lord, if it doesn't come from the Lord? But I believe that the Lord is saying that there are good things ahead. But I also believe that the Lord is saying that those good things (laughs) are going to come to those who wait. Good things come to those who wait, right? It's a a bromide, an old saying that everyone's so familiar with that it's possible that in the same way that we could speed forward from Christmas, forgetting what, what, what it was really about and move to the next thing, we can forget the reality of the words that say good things come to those that wait. We can forget the reality of the axiom that says patience is a virtue. Will you say that patience is a virtue? Where does virtue come from? What is virtue? Virtue means something good, right? Virtuous. Something that is true to itself. It has integrity. It doesn't just appear to be something, but then when you unwrap it, it's something else. Did you get any presents like that yesterday? I got something in a gift box that didn't relate to what was inside of the box. That's okay. It's okay as long as what's in the box is better than what's on the outside of it. But most of all, you and I like to know that what is on the surface reflects what is within. And the Lord says that if what is within is inconsistent with what is on the surface, there's a problem. It's not virtuous to act like one thing and be another. 
The Lord is not like that. The Lord is who he is, and the way that he acts and the word that he says reflects the heart within him. Virtue is integrity. Virtue is honesty. Virtue is consistency. Virtue is doing good, fulfilling a purpose, right? Being effective in what something was made for. If you got any gifts yesterday that were electronically inclined or perhaps mechanical in another way, and if you're a parent with kids of a certain age, you probably gave many a gift that way, right? Christmas becomes the time of putting things together. Or maybe Christmas Eve is that way. But anyway, you got to find the batteries. What battery does this thing take? And how many different? Oh, the remote takes a different battery, right? And the cables and the cords and hooking things up. Or maybe you got a device that needs to be set up and you need a server to connect to it. And all of these things reflect a reality. Something can seem very good, but if it's not functional and connected, of what good is it? It's only virtuous if it is actually doing what it was made to do and doing it well and reliably, and it's connected to what powers it. Patience is like that. It's integrous. It's not just the act of patience, but the action of it. Patience is not passive. There may be times in which, as I say, the Lord calls upon us to wait, but when we wait, we wait with purpose. You know the story, I've told it before, I was a waiter for many years, and one thing a waiter doesn't ever really do is wait. (laughs) You're always working. You're on your feet all day long, lifting, grabbing, talking, getting things from point A to point B. There's so much activity in the job of waiting. You've got to be attentive. What has been ordered? You've got to make sure that the order is completed and delivered. You and I are waiting on the Lord when we're running after him. When we're pursuing him, as we sang this morning, we're waiting on him. We're saying, what is your order, Lord? What do you want? And he not only knows what to order, he knows where we'll get it. He's actually the one that fulfills the order. God is creator and cook. (laughs) He's cooking up something good. In fact, the the prophet said that the day of the Lord is coming burning like an oven. In other words, God has already placed his order. And he's looking for waiters. People who will wait upon him to do what he's asked them to do. To deliver. Actually, what God wants is not that you're bringing things so much to him, but that you're bringing yourself to him and he will use you to reach others. What a beautiful image that is to think that you and I are the wait staff of the Lord. That God in his kitchen is arranging a feast. And in making invitation, he's also saying to you, I want you to take of what I have and give it to others so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the, the Sunday when I traditionally announce the theme for the year ahead. As you know, this is something that I really believe, that the Lord desires to give us clarity about particular seasons of time that we are in. So when I say I'm excited about what 2022 holds, it doesn't mean that I'm under the delusion that there aren't any hard times ahead. Every year has its share of hard times. And it may be that the year ahead of us has more hard times than the year behind us. Now, I'm not, 
I'm not prognosticating that. I'm not prophesying that. What I'm saying is actually in the Lord, even if that were true, it need not shake our faith. Because no matter what lies ahead, it's who's within that matters for us. It's who's above that matters for us. If the Lord is in you, then let me assure you, he is above you. He is on his throne, but is he in your heart? If you are seeking after him and waiting upon him, then no matter what lies ahead in the circumstances of your life, the Lord has a purpose at work in you. The year that we are coming to a conclusion of is the year of purpose. The Lord spoke to us and said that 2021 would be a year of purpose, a year for us to focus on purpose, and we have. And he also said to me that in this season of time, this decade of the 20s, certainly this first half of the decade of the 20s, that we as a congregation, and I invite any guests with us today to appropriate this promise too. You're here for a reason. You're hearing this message for a reason. If this message is reaching you today, it's the Lord saying to you, whether you're part of PCF or not, you're certainly invited to be, but even if you're part of another fellowship, wherever you're at in your world, the Lord wants you to know today, I have purpose ahead for you. And praising me will help you to penetrate into your purpose and allow my truth to permeate your world. In other words, we are in years of purpose and praise. And so, what do you do when the Lord has given you an order? You wait upon him. You wait upon him for the clarity of what it means and the ways in which to apply it. For us at PCF, what that means is we are people of praise. Every week we gather in a variety of ways, including this service and online, but also in our Bible study groups, in our midweek prayer session. We will be starting that back up on January 5th, the first Wednesday of 2022. Come be a part of the vanguard of prayer of PCF. You can do it online via Zoom, and you can be participant in the powerful prayer that advances us in the purpose of the Lord. We are people of prayer. Will you say that? People of prayer. We are people of praise. Say that. That means that when we gather together, we remind one another of God's goodness. We encourage one another in God's purpose. And we assist one another in waiting upon the Lord, which will involve patience. We are going to be people of patience. Will you say that? People of patience. I want to talk today about the patience of purpose. In the first quarter of uh, uh, 2022, we're going to be doing a variety of things relating to our uh, council leadership, relating to our ministry team. We're going to have a ministry team meeting for ministry heads in the first quarter of this year. And all of this is not just about doing the stuff of the business of the church, so to speak. It is about being people of purpose who together with like mind and unity seek how the Lord is calling us to apply that purpose in this season of time. For everyone that is hearing this message, whether you're a leader at PCF or a member of PCF or just a visitor and part of our, uh, uh, part of our fellowship today, I believe the Lord says to us that 2022 is a year in which we can expect to turn a corner. You know, the global pandemic, people were tired of hearing about before it even really started. I remember standing in this pulpit in March of 2020, I suppose, and, and, and saying, I know that you're probably tired of hearing about COVID, and a wave of people went, oh, I'm tired of hearing about it. And little did we know then, right, that we'd be going on and on about it for so long, although I think some of us had a sense. 
And actually, if you looked at the science of what we were dealing with, it's not surprising that nearly two years later, we're still talking about it. And we'll still be talking about it in 2022. And you might be tired of hearing about it, but I'll tell you something. Just because you're tired of hearing about it doesn't mean it's over. And there's a lot of things like that in life where you think, I'm tired of dealing with this debt. I'm tired of dealing with this spouse. I'm tired of dealing with this wayward child that keeps giving me problems. I'm tired of dealing with this bad back. I'm tired of dealing with this boss or this bad employee. And as tired as you may be and as little as you may want to hear about it and as much as you may want to forget and get away and escape, it doesn't erase the situation. So being tired of something or fed up with something or angry about something or ignoring of something and delusional and just say, I'm not going to talk about it, I'm not going to think about it, doesn't do any good. But what if you apply the patience of God to that situation? And remember, patience isn't passive. It means there is a purpose in this, in this marriage, in this job, in this particular situation in this relationship, even in whatever hardship you may be facing. There's purpose in this grief. There's purpose in this loss. That doesn't mean God caused it. It means God can use it for good. There's purpose in it. And once you can perceive the purpose of God, you can receive his purpose. Patience, and patience is a virtue. It means it's a treasure. It's valuable. I pray and seek the Lord for the themes of the year long in advance. I do that because it's important for me to be able to prepare, to know where we are going and what we are to be studying and how we are to be relating. And I can tell you, it's been years that I've been meditating on 2022 being a year of patience. And Pastor Hazel can tell you, I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about this the first time I heard it from the Lord. A year of patience? Oh, what else could it be? Could it be something else? For me, 2022 is the year, God willing, if he gives me the grace and the days to reach it, that I will turn 50 years old. Oh, my. Sounds younger to me every day. That's one good thing about it, right? I never realized how young 50 is. You know, we live in a world that really disparages age and has a wrong idea about youth. In the Lord, every year is a blessing. Never, ever disparage your age. Everybody's body ages. And it's not easy. I remember my grandmother used to say to me, don't ever get old. I said, well, but you have to consider the alternative. If you think your body is bad this way, <laughs> old may be bad. Dead is worse. So whatever ailment you have in your body, if you have such, recognize this. If you're breathing, if you're living, you can be praising God. Because there is something very precious about breathing and living. Yes, we know that our death in this world is not the end. Praise God for that too. That's the glory of Christmas, that we have eternal life ahead of us. But we also have a purpose in this moment. I'll be turning 50 this year. 
And that means that it's my year of jubilee. So you can think of it as a year of jubilee if you want. And I think it is for us as PCF because this is also this uh, upcoming weekend or this new year will be for me the beginning of my seventh year pastoring PCF. Hallelujah. I give thanks to God and to all of you for that. Now, here's a few things that you know from the scriptures. Seven years, or the number seven itself, is seen as, in Hebraic culture, in biblical mindset, a holy number, a divine number. The Lord created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. So seven is the number of Sabbath, of completion, of fulfillment. That rest was not God saying, I'm all done. It was God saying, resting is part of the purpose. It's not passive. It's active. Some of you lack the virtue of God in your life. Some of you lack the patience of God in life because you lack a Sabbath. You never stop working. And you don't realize that resting is part of your work. In other words, it's part of the right labor for you from God. The day is not so much the issue, it's the attitude. Now, you're here on the Sabbath, as we know it, the Lord's Day. So you might say, hey, give me a break, I'm here. And after all, I do want to say, precious are you who hear this message today. Because it's the day after Christmas. There's a lot of things you could be doing. It's rainy season, not raining at the moment, I'm glad of that. But it would be easy to do something else or be somewhere else today. And you're here and those that are streaming, you're hearing today, and I'm grateful. And I believe you receive something of the virtue of God because of that. But nevertheless, remember, Sabbath rest is not simply coming into the sanctuary on Sunday. It's really having a recognition in the regular seven-day cycle of your life that you need a day off, that you need a time and it should be holy. It should be time in which not a day away from God. It's a day to lean into him Amen. all the more. It's a day to hear from him and be with him. I take a Sabbath on Mondays. I put my phone on the shelf. I resist as much as I can, and I often fail, but I try to resist the temptation to look at emails or texts. I take a day to really be with God. Sometimes that means I go out and take a walk with him. Sometimes that means God and I watch a movie together. Yeah, I think you can do that. Amen. Sometimes it means that I read. Sometimes I just take a nice nap and God is resting there with me. But I'll tell you something. It refurbishes the soul Amen. to have a moment like this. We say, well, that's nice. Good for you. Nice luxury. But I don't have time for that. You have to take the time. I don't have time for it either. There's never a day where I wake up and go, oh, nothing to do. I guess I'll take a Sabbath. That's not the way Sabbath works. In fact, if that's the day, it doesn't even really amount to a Sabbath because there is something of a sacrifice in Sabbath. There is something of saying, I am going to wait this day from doing all the things I think I need to do because I want to acknowledge that God has said to do this, to take rest. And I believe that just like giving your tithe or bringing your offering into the storehouse of the Lord miraculously multiplies your resource. If you're a regular giver, raise your hand if you've experienced God providing for you through your giving. You've seen it. 
Nobody's out there going, I've got so much money, I don't know what to do with it. Nobody's out there going, I want to get rid of money. It's a sacrifice to give. But God actually multiplies through that sacrifice. And if it's true of, time, of money, it's also true of time and your labor. There's always going to be more things to do. But it's important that within the cycle of every seven days, you are consistently reminding yourself, God is my source and my resource. God comes first. And God wants to bless you in that. So seven, seven days, a Sabbath day arrives. In the history of Israel, according to the word of God, every seven years, a Sabbath year arrived when they would give the crops rest. Now, many, many years they didn't do it. In fact, it was a rare thing for it ever to actually be observed. Why? Well, because people would fear for lack. We, don't, we can't give the crops a rest in this season. We can't give our workers a rest in this season because it seems counterintuitive. And it takes a patient and purposeful mindset to believe the Lord in moments like that. But what they would experience when they did do it, and what God promised was, you will have it better when you trust me and wait upon me in this way. And so every seven sets of seven years, there would be the year of Jubilee. In other words, after 49 years, you would arrive at the Jubilee Sabbath year. And this was a time that was intended to be extraordinary restitution, restoration, refreshment, renewal. Properties that had been sold would go back to their owners. Slaves would be liberated. There was all kinds of things in the ancient world of ancient Israel that were meant to be blessed in that season. So I'd like to invite you and I to consider that it's a Sabbath year for PCF, not in the sense that we sit back and do nothing, but rather that we press in with patience towards the purpose of God. And that it's a jubilee year for me, and let it be that for you too. Whatever your age this year is, you've got a birthday coming. <laughs> we all have one coming this year. Why don't you lay hold of this promise? That if you would give over more of your life and more of your focus and more of your resource and wealth and time and energy to the Lord, you would experience more of the virtue of his grace. I wasn't excited about the idea that 2022 would be the year of patience because I figured that usually the way that God gives you more patience is he gives you things that require it more. In other words, be careful about praying for patience because what you're going to get is a lot of things that try your patience. Now, I'm telling you, I've said that to people for a long time. And I've thought about this over the years as I've been preparing for this year to arrive. And by the way, every time I came to the Lord and said, could it be something else? He did remind me of things. You're going to be 50. It'll be your year of Jubilee. It's a Sabbath year. It's funny. These are all joyous and enriching things. And I looked at patience as a drudgery. Which actually, if you feel that way about patience, I want you to know you're not alone. I feel that way too. But it reveals something about me and you. We don't have enough of it. You don't appreciate the value of patience, it's probably because you lack it. And it's not something that can be lacquered in the lack. In other words, you can't just put the finish of patience on. Maybe you're someone who knows how to bite your tongue and act polite, but inside, you know what you're missing. You don't have peace. You're doing that outward show. God isn't fooled. A lot of other people aren't either. But at one point, something's going to happen. You're going to break. 
Maybe it's with your family that your patience breaks. You're nice with everyone at work and in the store and on the road and you get home and wow, that's where it's unleashed. Or maybe you never unleash it with anyone. But inside, what you recognize is this isn't the purpose of God for you to be like this. It's all just an act. That's not real patience. On the other hand, if you go, I'm just not a patient person. Have you heard people say this? Well, I'm just not patient. Well, then that's a problem. You were made to be. Oh, it's not my temperament. Then your temperament needs to change. God is patient and he wants you to be. And he wants you to be not because he wants to browbeat you for how little you are like him, but because he wants to bless you to be more like him. He wants to give you the treasure of patience because patience has clarity about purpose and it equips you for every good work. So you're going to be hearing about patience all through this year. And I want you to think of these things as you do. Patience is not passive, it's active. Will you say that? Patience is not passive, it's active. Patience is a treasure. Say that. Patience is a treasure. Patience is a good thing that you can only really get from God. Now, trials come and they do teach us things. And some people learn patience from their trials. And they might not recognize that God is in that, but they are receiving real patience. It's sort of like the other virtues of, love, of God, love and wisdom. There are people who don't really know the Lord, but they have elements of those virtues in their life. But I'll tell you something, the elements of those virtues reveal that God is at work in their life, even if they don't know him. But there's no better way to really grow in the things of God than to receive them clearly and with a clear understanding of his purpose. So today in our message, I'm really concluding the series year-long that we've been doing on purpose, but I'm also beginning a new series for the coming year on patience. So I want to talk today about the patience of purpose. There's a reason why God has focused us on purpose in this season, and that is because when you know what you are waiting for, you are better able to wait. And when you know the nature of the God that you are waiting upon, Amen. you are more likely to receive from his spirit his nature. Amen. And so that's actually an asset. Nobody is more impatient than someone who doesn't really understand what they're waiting for. Right? Go to the DMV and you'll see impatience displayed and not just by the people on one side of the counter but often by people on both sides of the counter god bless dmv workers i'm sure if i was working in that place i'd probably feel pretty impatient too and i know i've had my share of impatience being there but then you can find somebody who is patient and you know what part of that is because at least if it's somebody who knows the lord they ought to be patient and that is they're reflecting a reality Whatever happens here, God is in charge. Amen. That gives you so much security, Amen. so much sturdiness. Amen. And when you have a vision of what God has called you to do, it actually affords you greater patience. Amen. So patience of purpose today and the next week, on the first Sunday of the new year, I'm going to talk about the purpose of patience. So purpose itself has patience baked into it. And patience actually leads us along in purpose. And then next week I want to talk about more of how we can see in the scriptures that there is actually a whole medley, a whole slew, a toolkit 
of wonderful resources that are wrapped up in patience. So I want to look today at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at the entire chapter. It's not that long. It's only 17 verses. And in this, we see so much of the patience that is born out of knowing and pursuing the purpose of God because God intends to equip us to fulfill his purpose. He doesn't just say, here is something I want you to do and then doesn't give you the capacity to do it. He gives you every good thing needed to achieve every good thing that he's called you to. Let's pray as we look at the word. Father, we turn to your scriptures today and we ask that we would open our hearts ready to receive a deepened understanding of and an enriched reception of real patience that comes from you and equips us to do your will. Amen. Paul wrote to Timothy at least twice. We have two of those letters. They're part of what are referred to as the pastorals. Those are epistles. That is the uh, traditional term for these New Testament letters and other letters written in the ancient world. And they uh, were written uh, from Paul to protégés of his. That is, people that he had developed into a pastoral role. Timothy is probably the best known, and we actually hear about Paul meeting Timothy and uh, bring him under his under his wing, if you will, and making him a, a co-missionary and a trainee with Paul. And ultimately, uh, Paul would um, uh, position Timothy in pastoral roles, including at Ephesus, the church that Paul himself founded. And he later turned that church over to Timothy for Timothy's pastoral care. Titus is another one of those protégés. And so First and Second Timothy and Titus are all letters in which Paul is writing to a protege, and they are known as the pastorals because typically Paul is trying to instill in these protégés pastoral sensibilities, or he's training them in pastoral things. Now, if you were part of the Christmas Eve message, you'll know that pastoral is something that comes from shepherding. That, that word is derived from the idea of shepherd. And so even if you're not a pastor of a church, these, val these letters are valuable because they talk about how do you mature as a person of God called to be an influencer of others in a positive way? How do you persevere in your purpose in God in such a way that it's, it's um, persuasive to others, that it's beneficial to others, that it also equips you to be patient because you're going to face persecution, problems, and so forth. So the pastorals are really uh, wonderful in this way. This letter is written by Paul apparently while he is in prison. We're looking at chapter 3, but in chapter 4, you can see some of his description of that. So Paul is writing in a very disadvantaged situation. You know in the book of Acts, and we, we talked about this uh, even last year when we were studying in uh, Romans, because Paul wrote his letter to the Romans anticipating going to Rome. But what actually brought Ro Paul to Rome the first time was that he was arrested. And he was put under house arrest in Rome. And that also is described in the book of Acts. But at some point after the book of Acts was completed, Paul was released from that imprisonment. And we know that he went out and did other missionary journeys and um, traveled uh, perhaps as far as Spain. We're not sure. But he attempted to get all over the ancient Mediterranean world. But at some point along the way, he was arrested again. 
and brought back to Rome. And this time, he wasn't put in the uh, rather charitable situation that he had been in before, under house arrest, but still able to receive guests and still able to teach and preach from his home. No, this time he was put into a, a dungeon. It was a, uh, a, a very bleak, dark environment, uh, probably very abusive, probably very dangerous in terms of communicable diseases that were trafficking through that prison and so forth. It was... Uh, probably in the mid to late 60s of the first century AD. During that time, when there was intense persecution of Christians in Rome. And actually, if you look at 2 Timothy 4, you see that Paul uh, expects to die and probably did uh, uh, come to execution in Rome in that period of the late 60s, mid to late 60s. Uh, and, and Paul seems to be anticipating that. So as he's writing to Timothy, he's writing from in prison with, uh, with probably a capital punishment sentence over him and the expectation that he's going to be executed. Paul himself was probably in his 60s at the time. So a man with enough years to have gained wisdom, but not somebody who would naturally expect to be at the end of their life. So his expectation is that he is going to be executed. And he has a peace about it. And he has patience. Imagine the patience required when you are in such a situation. And Paul is the one who is writing to Timothy and to encourage Timothy, this kind of patience is available for you. And also to warn Timothy, this kind of persecution will come your way also. So when I say that the Lord has purposes for us in 2022, but that doesn't mean that there aren't problems, I am basically saying the same thing that Paul says to Timothy. Trying times lie ahead. Now, I say we're going to turn a corner in this pandemic in 2022 in all likelihood because if you look at the timeline of global plagues in previous eras, and there's been a lot of them, you can actually uh, chart the way that infectious diseases affect society on a large scale. I'm not saying that we're going to turn a corner where nobody's going to talk about COVID anymore. In fact, we probably weren't ever going to live in a world where nobody talks about it anymore. Um, But it will change in terms of the sense of urgency and the sense of fear. But what will also change is as we come out of this situation, society has changed. The labor force has changed. The marketplace has changed. The economy has changed. The political infrastructure has changed. And there are huge Um, activities on the world scale, not necessarily related to COVID, but everything is ecological in the sense that everything interacts. But you can see that there are major players in the world, Russia, China, so forth, where international relationships are in a different phase now. And that's the way the world works. And so the Lord is saying to us, don't look at life through rose-colored glasses. There are hard times ahead. But... There are reliable ways to live in an unreliable world. Will you say that with me? There are reliable ways to live in an unreliable world. So you and I are to adopt patient patterns of purpose. It gives you a kind of an infrastructure, a skeleton to, to, to hold on to, you know what I mean? To give you shape and strength. You can have all the muscles in the world, but if you don't have any bones, you're not going to be able to move many weights. You need a rigid structure that gives you something firm by which to stand, 
Patience is like bone in the flesh to give strength and solidity and capacity, not only to stand, but to march, to move with purpose. So let's look at Paul's writing to Timothy. In the first section, the first nine verses, we get this snapshot of trying times to come. And this is not just uh, Paul to Timothy either. You get this also in letter to Titus. You also hear this in the letters that Peter wrote. You see this in James. In 2022, we're going to study the entire book of James, the letter of James. And uh, in fact, next week, uh, there'll be a portion of James in the sermon as well. But James also talks about how there are hard times ahead. And even in the Old Testament, the prophets also acknowledge this. So it's kind of a perennial problem. Thomas Paine wrote in 1776, these are the times that try men's souls. Now that's nearly 250 years ago, but he may as well have been talking about today. These times are times that try people's souls too. And that's because we are living in an era when the Lord has revealed himself to the world, but the world has in many ways rejected the Lord. And what comes of that? What comes is people who lose their purpose and become perverse in their thinking. In other words, they get twisted away from the purpose of God's nature because we are made in the image of God and we become more like the, the antithesis of God's nature. Demonic attitudes, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, this is to say greedy, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. It doesn't mean that there's no one that they show affection to. It means that they lack the virtue of God's love within themselves. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Well, I'm just an impatient person. Well, who's in charge of you? You know, a lot of times when people just say, it's just not my nature to be patient, they're not apologetic about it. They're proud. You're darn right I'm not patient, not with somebody like that, and I shouldn't be. And if there are other people that are like that, well, those wimpy people are made to be like that, but not me. That, that is someone who lacks self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Looking for a way to enjoy life without the purpose of God. Let me just indulge the senses. An Epicurean celebration of whatever feels good, looks good, sounds good, but it's not good. Or religiosity. You know, the religious attitude that lacks the spirit of God. A form of godliness that denies its power. And Paul says to Timothy, don't have anything to do with people like that. Now what he's saying there is not never ever have any interaction with people like that. What he's saying is, don't get into that crowd. Don't run with that crowd. Don't, uh, don't think that you can affiliate with that kind of attitude and mentality and not be affected by it. These are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, Paul says. Apparently at the time, there were itinerant preachers who would look for women that they could charm with these, these false uh, heretical teachings. And it was often so that they could get support from wealthy widows and so forth. Paul says, watch out for that. These are people who are loaded down with sin and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
They may have a lot of information. They may have a lot of intellectual capacity, but they don't have the attitudes and spirit of God. Here, then, Paul mentions Janus and Jambres, which are names that are traditionally associated with the Egyptian magicians described in Exodus 7. You don't find them named in the Bible, but some extra-biblical sources give their names. And in the culture of the time, those sources were well-known and well-read. And so here Paul is saying, just like the Egyptian sorcerers who stood in Pharaoh's court against Moses, these are people who aren't just ignoring God, they're opposing God. And they're able to do whatever they're able to do, not by God's uh, empowerment, but because they have entangled themselves, ensnared themselves in demonic resource and demonic sources. These are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. In other words, they've rejected the faith and so they are rejected by the faith. But they won't get very far because just like with Janus and Jambres, just like with those Egyptians, just like Pharaoh for that matter, they didn't have the victory. Ultimately, it was God who overcame. And ultimately, the folly of the Egyptians was clear to everyone. And the Lord is saying through Paul, it will be true in, in all eras that those who oppose the Lord aren't going to win and their folly will be revealed. So, there are trying times to come because in the world, people are without integrity. In the world, there's ample religion, but religion without the spirit is, is anathema to God. It's apostasy. False teachers without the truth. So, what are you and I called to do? Not just to, to uh, disparage such people, no, what's more important is that you and I would recognize the falsehood of these ways, that we would identify antichrist attitudes. In other words, attitudes that are inherently antithetical to Jesus Christ. That we would beware of false faith, not just putting on a show, but lacking the inner reality. And that we would reject heresy and delusion. So there are challenges and the way that the people of the world respond to those challenges are to be avoided. And the way to avoid those, uh, to way to avoid those improper responses is to embrace the right way. In other words, not just to shoot down the falsehood, but really much more importantly, to lay hold of the truth. Amen? By laying hold of the truth, the word of God and the knowledge of the Lord, you can actually uh, lock into reliable ways to live even in trying times. So Paul says to Timothy, you know the truth. But look at how Paul presents it. Paul presents it entirely personally. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, I know that you know the truth because I know the truth and I've lived it in front of you. I've lived it with you. You know that there's hard times because you've seen me go through it. But you also know there's truth in the word because you've heard me teach it. You've seen my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. You know my purpose. You know yours because you know the Lord. You've seen my faith. You've seen my patience. You've seen my love. You've seen my endurance. Now, Paul isn't doing this because he's puffed up and he's proud. He's revealing Christ. In other words, this that you see in me, it isn't of me. It's of Christ, says Paul. 
But so say you and I. If we are followers of Jesus, then that is the purpose. So you see, if you say, well, I'm just not a very patient person, then how can anyone see the patience of Christ in you? Right? And if you say, I just don't have the strength to go on, then how can anyone see the persistence and perseverance of Christ in you? And if you say, I don't want anyone to persecute me, I don't want to face that kind of hardship, then how will anyone know how to face it? Because you are to be the illustration of Christ to the world. That's what it means to be his martyria, his martyr, his witness. That's what it means to be his disciple, a Christian, a a revealer of Christ. Now, when Paul says, I've gone through persecutions and sufferings and you've seen it, you know what happened to me. Here he gets specific. You saw it in Antioch. You saw it in Iconium. My gosh, Paul was beaten and left for dead. And yet the Lord resurrected him. So this is one reason why Paul's not afraid to die. He already has. I mean, he literally has in the sense that he was beaten lifeless and then rose back up by the grace of God. Um, So whether he was literally dead or not, he was so battered that everyone around him thought that he was dead. But he actually lived. But also Paul has died metaphorically or spiritually. He says, I've died to myself. Now for me to live, or now uh, it's not I who live, but Christ in me. The hope of glory. That's where you get patience. Because you don't have to be afraid. Not because nothing bad is coming your way, but because something better is already alive in you. So the Lord rescued me from them all, said Paul. And I want to tell you, the Lord has rescued me over and over and over again from every kind of problem, whether it was a financial need or a physical problem or a relational crisis, the Lord has has rescued me. And so say you. So let people know. Now, Paul is going to, at the end of the chapter, draw this into the real rich resourcing of God that comes in the scriptures. He's going to say, you've got the word of God and every bit of this word is God-breathed. You want patience? Let the breath of God come into you. You want perseverance, strength to stand and the power to overcome? Here it is. You want the sword of the spirit at your side fighting the battle for you? Then all scripture is for you. And through it, you and I have every good utility that it offers for teaching, for rebuking, which is a blessing, for correcting, which can solve problems and fix what is broken, for training in righteousness so that you grow stronger and so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scripture is a source of patience. And if you lack the scripture... It's your fault, not God's, because it's available to you. So if you lack patience, read the word, pray, and allow the Lord to speak it into you so that you can be equipped for every good work. So in in opposition to or, or as a solution to the issues of people without integrity, we become people of integrity, people who are inside out filled with the word of God, people who are strengthened, and resourced for the purposes of God. Instead of religion without the Spirit, we become people of the Spirit. 
Instead of teachers without the truth who oppose the word, we can be people of the truth who adore the word, who feed on it and receive from it. So we have our nature in Christ that really gives us the uh, insight into who we are meant to be. Embrace him. Let this spirit be in you that was also in Christ. Let this word guide you that was also in the mouth of Christ and guiding and governing his life. Embrace his character. Embrace living in the faith, the faith that comes to us by the Holy Spirit. And embrace the the reality, the right teaching, the right doctrine, the real revelation that comes to us through the word of God that is the scriptures. Finally, we then have patterns for patiently pursuing the purposes of God. And this is where Paul can then be emboldened to give the bad news. <laughs> the bad news is everyone who wants to live a goodly life, godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the bad news. So don't backpedal. Don't sugarcoat it. I'm giving it to you straight. Amen. If you want to follow Jesus, expect to be opposed. Amen. Opposed by the world and the people in it. Don't hate them. Don't blame them. They don't know any better because they've rejected the word or because they failed to receive it. So then let them know the word. Many will turn to the Lord, but then you'll have to tell them the truth. You'll have to tell them, now, if you're going to live godly, expect to be opposed. (laughs) But you can also tell them the way that Paul did. You can show them who Christ is in you. If you have no testimony that reflects that you've gone through such things, it will be very difficult to persuade them of it. But if they've seen you, 